Okay. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of how, sorry. Okay. Forget, forget what I just said. <laughs> Cut it out. <laughs> sorry. Um, so, okay. Oh my gosh. Ugh, you guys, I suck at cold opens. No, it was terrible. Um, anyways, hello. Welcome back to Bundle of Hers to our lovely audience. We are in the virtual studio. Um, so this is Mariam. And I am very excited today because we have two special guests on our episode today. Two of my classmates, fellow newly minted MS4s, Lily and Luti, and I will let them introduce themselves. What's something that you want our audience to know about you? I'm so excited to be back on the podcast. I'm Lily. I'm a rising or current fourth year at the U. I am a very proud dog mom. I have Aussies and I also tend to pick up way too many hobbies. So right now I'm currently doing a lot of pottery and Pilates and it's been really hard but interesting because I feel like as a med student we like to be good at things and I suck at both. So it's been really fun to try and learn something new. But otherwise, um, I'm super excited to go into fourth year and I'm um, excited to talk a little bit more about how that went. And my name is Lutie. I'm uh, grateful that the bundle of hers would have me on the show with them. Um, I am a, also a rising MS4 here at the University of Utah. Um, and I am a kid dad. I have two little kiddos. Uh, they are three and one is seven months now. I am the self-proclaimed pickleball champion of the University of Utah <laughs> School of Medicine. I don't know what that actually means. There's probably a lot of people way better than me, but, you know, it's a pretty fun game. And I am Tongan by heritage and struggling to work my way through medicine in this very, very new world. But it's cool because I have cool friends to help me get through it. Yes. Shout out to all the cool friends in medicine. Um, you guys are way cooler than me. I have no hobbies. Um, so I, I'm really happy that you guys agreed to do this episode. I was talking to like our bundles crew and I wanted to do an episode about reflecting on third year or MS three year clinical rotation year. I think it's notorious for being one of the hardest years of medical school or like one of the hardest years of medical training. For those of you who aren't aware of medical school training in the United States, you have a total of four years before you get your MD. Your first two years, you are essentially in the classroom all the time and you're learning everything there is to know about medicine, mostly in a classroom structure. And then third year is the big year where you are finally going out and you're taking care of patients and you're, you know, essentially practicing what you learned in the first two years. And clinical year is known to be perhaps one of the most challenging physically, emotionally, mentally years of medical school. And so me, Luti, and Lily all just wrapped up our third year. We survived, you guys. We survived. And um, we just took step two, which was a nine-hour long board exam which officially wraps up our third year, and we are now newly minted MS4s. And so this episode is largely going to be a reflection, not just on clinical year, but just like our personal experiences, especially as it's rooted in like our identities and how how that's shaped a lot of our clinical year and how that has also impacted how we want to practice medicine in the future. So I like to start with opener questions. Um, So for both of you, if there was one word you could use to describe clinical year, what would it be? 
I would have to say growth. I think that there was a lot of growth that happened during third year, especially for someone like me, where I experienced a lot of lows during the first two years of med school. I really questioned if I wanted to continue going through the curriculum, and I definitely did not enjoy the classroom setting or the online aspect to school, and also just had a lot of things going on in my personal life that really made me question if I wanted to stay in medicine. Um, and so I kind of like held out hope that once I entered the clinical years, it would be a lot better and I would feel a lot happier. And obviously, when you have like higher expectations of things, you're more likely to be disappointed, which I definitely think happened in certain aspects. But overall, I think the growth I experienced during third year is something that I definitely needed to go through to really recognize and understand if medicine was something that was meant for me. And also, I think that you change so much over the course of the year in such small increments that you might not notice it, but that people around you will notice. And slowly, by the time you get to the end, you'll notice. I think <clears throat> what I was kind of that kind of came to mind was jigsaw. Oh, nice. Sometimes you know some jigsaw puzzles to me they they seem like they are really fun. You kind of kind of everything kind of fits together. A lot of times during third year though, you know, I felt like I didn't fit in. It was it was very difficult. It was very slow going at times. It's kind of like the idea that's kind of come to my mind is that sometimes it flowed really well. You know, during third year, I felt like sometimes I found teams and found places where I just really fit in and I really enjoyed it. I really I really learned. And there were other moments during third year where I just felt like it was kind of a challenge to really know what my purpose was in that team or what the heck I was doing there, you know, with the people there. If I even had a role there or if I was just being in people's way, you know, just trying to fit a really, really weird looking Tongan piece into a totally wrong jigsaw puzzle. But anyways, that was kind of my overall third year experience. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you how you kind of talked about like not knowing what your place is um, as a medical student, because I think I spent maybe 75 percent of this year just like trying to figure out how to take up space. <laughs> and uh, it was it was always a really challenging thing to do, especially on the wards, um, because everybody there knows that you're a learner and and nobody really expects you to know anything, but they also expect you to know everything at the same time. So trying to fit into like what those expectations are can be really challenging. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Um, this was my opener question. And then I like didn't think about how to answer it. So I had to like think about this. I guess like the first like word that comes to mind is like chaos. And I think you both kind of like alluded to how I would like answer this question is I didn't know what my place was a lot of the time. Um, I always felt like my mind was being pulled in different directions, trying to fulfill a lot of expectations on my team and seek out a lot of external validation from the attendings I worked with and the residents I worked with and also the patients that I cared for. But also another thing too, the chaos aspect of things came from like the internal struggle, you know, seeing if like this was where I fit in, if like medicine truly was for me. And like, you know, Luti, you mentioned like trying to figure out what your place was like as a Tongan person in medicine, like also like trying to figure out how my identity like fit into this process as well, which is something we are definitely going to talk about today. That kind of just leads into my next question. How have your personal identity shaped your experience of clinical year? Luti, I'd like to start with you, no pressure, but you kind of mentioned like this jigsaw puzzle and like there's like all these different pieces that go into this puzzle that is third year. And you mentioned your identity as one of those big pieces. How has your identity as somebody who's Tongan, in addition to your other identities, shaped your experience of this year? 
I don't know if there's like a really perfect way for me to say this. So if I sound like super, you know, all over the place, I apologize. But kind of thinking back on third year, I saw, you know, maybe four, maybe five different Polynesian people in healthcare while I went through my third year. It was so funny. Like, I feel like every single time I saw one, I, I thought it was like so fun. I'm like, oh man, that's my auntie. That's my uncle. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. That's my, that's my cousin guy. It's like every single time I, I saw some kind of Polynesian looking person, even if they weren't talking, if they were someone or something, but you know, it's, it's very strange world. I think being a Polynesian, uh, med student in medicine, just because it's not, there's not a lot of us in there. Uh, it can be a little isolating in that regard when I, do feel like I'm somewhat alone uh, culturally. I didn't have a single attending or resident who was Polynesian of ethnicity or anything. So I think the isolation definitely can be felt. But I think overall, I was able to use my traits as a Polynesian, you know, just like the values and the morals that I was kind of brought up and that my parents taught me and my cousins and all the community that, that they kind of, you know, integrated in, into me. I felt like I was able to use a lot of those strengths and those were the things that kind of made me successful during my third year and, and able to connect with patients and maybe stand out as a med student with my team because they haven't seen a Polynesian med student before. So, and I don't think it just, it just has to be Polynesian students to, to bring that, those strengths to the table. But I definitely think, uh, there were, there was some of that there. I don't know if I'm clear about that, but. No, I really liked what you said, especially when you said isolation, because that really resonated with me during third year. I feel like the majority of the time I felt very isolated, whether it was from my team or my peers or my loved ones. You just never can be the perfect person for everyone, especially when you are like a person of color. I myself identify as Afghan and I'm a first generation student. And so there really isn't anyone to like explain to me how everything works or just kind of walk me through what to expect. And so I think everything that happened during third year was just kind of a curveball and you kind of just roll with it once it happens to you. During my time going through all of the different rotations, I had two people who identified with the same ethnicity as me, which was like the most exciting thing that I think I ever experienced in medicine was finally seeing a provider who looked like me and who spoke the same language as me. And that was really, really exciting for me, but definitely like far too few and in between. And obviously when you have this kind of expectation of what you think it looks like and what it's going to be might not always be what it is. So even when I like would find that representation and get super excited about it, the clinic would be so busy or we'd have so many patients that you really couldn't sit down and like have that deep heart to heart with this person who doesn't know you, but, and they'll probably never know, but like it meant so much to me to see them in that space that like I could finally start to maybe see myself a little bit more in that space but like on the normal day to day going through my rotations, sometimes I would be the only female in the entire room, whether it was in the OR or on the care team. And sometimes like when we go talk to patients, um, I myself um, speak English as a second language. And so navigating the healthcare system on the other side of the stethoscope, I've just seen so many times where there's been communication breakdown and like the loss of like justice and autonomy and informed consent with patients, like from my own family and just being in the like doctor's office with my parents, that being on the other side of the stethoscope and sitting in the room where we're talking to the patients, I would just see these kind of repeated patterns of where providers would be talking to patients using what they thought was more basic 
English, you know, not so much like medical terminology. And they thought that they were really getting their point across the patient. But even I could just see in the patient's eyes that they had absolutely no idea what the doctor was talking about. And sometimes they would try to navigate conversations with patients where their preference would be to have an interpreter. And so I think like as the medical student, like being able to kind of notice those small things, because usually like Lutie was saying, when I'm in the room, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know like necessarily what I'm contributing to every single patient. And sometimes you just don't want to be in the way um, or overstep in any way. But definitely as the year went on, I started to realize like, it's okay for me to pick up the phone and call an interpreter and put them on speaker and just have it available because otherwise we're going to go through this whole 30 minute conversation with this patient and we're going to leave thinking we did such a great job. And then they only understood like maybe a third of what we said, which is a horrible, horrible feeling. Like you leave and you feel like you didn't do anything right for them. And so I think like having all those experiences on the other side and knowing what it feels like when the provider leaves and you feel more confused than before they walked in, I think really helped me acknowledge that very early on and try to somewhat address it without being like, you're doing this wrong and this is inappropriate. Yeah, I can relate to a lot of like what you both said as well. I think this year was really interesting. Like I mentioned that it felt really chaotic. And I mentioned a little bit like my internal struggles too. And something that I have been talking a lot to my peers about is just like going into medicine, we had these like set of values that were rooted in our identity. And I don't know about you guys, but like I was pretty... I was like reading my personal statement the other day that got me into medical school. And I was like, wow, I was so connected to like my purpose and my identity. You know, I'm like, I've talked a lot about my backgrounds. My mom is from Afghanistan. My dad is from Iran. You know, I'm from Georgia. I'm from the South. Like, I feel like I have like all these like intersecting identities that have like really informed and influenced who I am and like how I want to practice medicine and why I pursued this path to begin with. And I was reading this personal statement and I was like, oh my gosh, I was like so self-assured. And like now, you know, after going, especially through third year, you see a lot of the things that you preach about that you care about, like put into practice in the healthcare world. And sometimes it doesn't like translate in the ways that like you thought they would. And I can give an example. Um, I think stories are very powerful. When I was on my family medicine rotation, I was at a clinic that actually uh, would see a lot of Afghan patients. And, you know, family medicine, I don't know what you guys thought about family medicine. I loved it, but I like never had any idea what was going on. Family medicine, you could get just like a broad range of things, which is what's exciting about that specialty, but also really challenging. We had an Afghan patient at the very end of the day. We were taking like later, uh, we were taking patients later in the evening. Everybody was so exhausted, including myself. It was hour 12, a busy clinic day. And I see this patient not even realizing she's Afghan, by the way, until I read her name and she had an Afghan name. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's Afghan. I, you know, was really excited about this patient, but she had a really complex chief complaint. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to help this person. And long story short, I went back to the attending and we were kind of like talking through differentials and like what next steps would be. And again, long story short, I left clinic that day just feeling extremely disappointed that I couldn't give this patient a lot of answers. It was kind of just like an interesting reflection because I thought it would be just this beautiful experience being able to connect with Afghan patients this year. And I have had beautiful experiences connecting with patients from my community, but also at the same time, having to figure out how to fit that role of medical student and how to also like integrate my own personal values too. I feel like that's been the most challenging thing about third year. 
Lutzi, you were talking about how something that you did this year take some of the values that you have in your community and like implement them into the clinical world. I'm just curious, do you have like any specific examples like for our listeners who are kind of like wondering how to do that? Um, you know, I, I was just kind of thinking back on some patients that when I was ever at Primary Children's, I had one patient to this day, it was one of my favorite patients to take care of. To kind of frame this, I always felt like whenever I saw a Polynesian name on our patient list, I would always want to take care of those patients just because it was always fun to walk into those rooms and they'd be like, oh man, like, who are you? I'm like, oh, I'm a medical student. And like they were just super surprised because they'd never expected it. They meant a lot to me and I felt like they were like really meaningful interactions with these patients, you know we really just talked a lot about family and like who they know at home and who do I know. And we always connected dots like pretty, pretty quickly just because it's a pretty small community. Honestly, we talked a lot about different kinds of foods we loved. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but, like, that was like super effective because you don't get that kind of food in the hospital. So that was a, it was kind of just a good way to connect and, and make them realize that we're human too, you know, on the caretakers team, on the, from the providers, we are human. We understand them and, and we, uh, Definitely are not just like robotic, you know, people are trying to just provide care and medicine and therapies here in the hospital. But those are a couple of things that kind of came, come to mind right off the bat. I don't know. Yeah. Luti, we are going to work on you validating yourself. Somebody's <laughs> going to hear this and be like, Luti is awesome. And now I want to apply to medical school because I can be a full person <laughs> in third year, which like, and this is like, again, why I wanted to do this episode because reflecting on third year is like, how do we like remain true to ourselves in medicine? Because I think that's the the biggest danger is like losing parts of yourself in this process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that you, Luti, I, I think it's like really beautifully said that like, you know, being able to just like stop being like this like clinical medical person and being able to just be a human with somebody is actually a very healing experience, right? And especially in a lot of different cultures. And I think back on like that example that I gave with the patient that I had, I have like my experience was kind of like the opposite. Like I have big regrets that like I couldn't let my guard down and like ask more about like this patient's story because I was so caught up in being a good medical, trying to be a good medical student. Yeah, I I think about this a lot, especially when we have these conversations around family. Like growing up, my community is the patients that we are currently serving. Like I grew up in this 15 mile radius. All of the hospitals that we rotate to are hospitals where my family members have been hospitalized, where I've seen people be born and people pass away in my family. And so there's something like really beautiful, but also traumatic about that. And so I think like walking through the halls of the hospital, I really like feel that sense of You know, these patients are here on like the worst days of their lives and we have the privilege to be the people that they interact with. And so how do we make this a little less hard of a day for them? And so how do I make these patients or like my team members feel like they're safe and cared for? And I really liked what we talked a little bit about when it came to like, you know, your family and how your cultural values really play into that. And so Going through the year, you're constantly changing your rotation, your team. I mean, almost every week you have a new person who has their own set of rules and their own way of viewing the world and the way that they want you to do things. And you feel like you need to be more pliable. And I, for one, definitely felt like, okay, I need to adjust the way that I interview patients. I need to adjust the way I write my notes about patients because that's how my attending wants me to do that. But also, I don't want to change the way I speak to patients or how I check in on patients, regardless of whether or not this attending cares. And so for me, I always put myself in the shoes of what were moments in 
care that my family members received that really stood out to me being like the child or whatever and and seeing this happen. And I really, really loved it when people were vulnerable and people would share things and people treated me the way that they would want their family members to be treated. And so like just small things that I feel like build community with patients in your team is just genuinely showing that you care about them. When I was on my neurology rotation, we had a patient who was there and I would just go check on her all the time because she was my one sole patient. And that was like my first time really having that like ownership. And so I wanted to make sure that she felt really cared about. And so, you know, I'd regularly go sit with her and chat with her. And as a med student, you don't know if like you're allowed to do that. Is that okay to just like walk into this patient's room and sit with them? What if I'm bothering them? What if it's annoying? But I just remember all the times that I was in the hospital, like it was just so nice to have someone come check and talk to you outside of just like drawing your blood and like, seeing what your vitals look like. And so like we'd sit with her and like paint her nails, ask her like what she's going to do when she leaves. And I feel like those were ways that like really built rapport and trust. And as a medical student, I just feel like I don't have any of that type of like authority or ownership to be able to like build community. But in reality, like they always say during third year, you have no control over your schedule, your calendar, where you are, what you do. But at the same time, I feel like out of everyone on the team, we have the most control over what we do because we really aren't like going to make or break the team. Like whether I'm there or not is not going to stop the wheel from turning. But at the same time, because of that, I am able to just like blend into spaces and create space for myself, which is really hard. But at the same time, like if I do go sit with a patient for an hour, no one's going to really be mad at me because I'm still doing something that's important to my learning and my education. And I think that's what makes a big impact on patients. And one of the things I really hope to do in the future is work in like more community health center and like underserved community based practice. And so I got to rotate at one of the free clinics here in Utah. And it was kind of interesting because we'd have patients coming in who hadn't seen doctors in years and I would see them. And because I was the med student, my attending would say, oh, yeah, like take 40 minutes to interview this patient when usually appointments are like 15 minutes. And be like, just take your time, do a full physical exam, really get as much learning as you can out of it, which was so generous and kind. But that also meant that I got to spend 40 minutes getting to know this patient. And I just remember at the end of one of my appointments, my patient who was Spanish speaking was asking the interpreter, she was like, oh, so I'll see you next week, right? And I was like, I'm just a med student. Like, I won't be here next week. But she really wanted to see me next week. And I thought that was so interesting because we think we have such little say or such little effect on patients when in reality, because we have that flexibility of like an undefined role, we can make that space for ourselves. So for me, I think community building is really that like one-on-one individual time where you really connect with people outside of their disease, outside of their lab tests and outside of, you know, what they're treated for. Because at the end of the day, like this could be someone that I see in the grocery store and I never knew that all this happened to them, but I still want to treat them with the same dignity and respect that I would want anyone to treat like my loved one who is in the hospital. 
well, this is why I think it's so great to have you guys here because I think every time I've had a conversation with you guys about like medicine, it, it really goes back to like how we feel more connected to our communities outside of medicine and also like how we can find that community inside of medicine. And it's less about like performing because there's so much, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast. There's so much pressure to perform in this system. And a lot of that uh, pressure to perform is rooted in like a lot of like white supremacist ideals, right? Medicine is is wrought with like a lot of, you know, problematic racist norms. Um, and so the ways that we're pressured into our training is sometimes to just kind of adhere to those to those values and almost like neglect some of our own. I thought it was really powerful, Lily, when you said like, I wanted to treat the patients the way that I would have wanted my family members to be treated. Um, because I feel like we all come from backgrounds where like, we saw a lot of our family members get mistreated within the medical system. And like, what's the whole point of us being here if not to like create those spaces for our own patients? And like, Lucy, I was wondering, has this year shaped how you want to practice? Med- like, has it changed how you want to practice medicine? I do feel like it has shaped that humanistic part of like, you know, the kind of doctor and provider that I want to be. I do want to go into like a more surgical career down the road, but I do feel like I never want to forget connecting with these patients and really just making them feel like they're human, we're human, and we want to understand each other and, and provide the best care that they need to make sure that the patient knows that, that, that I care for them, like like they were family. Mm-hmm. I do feel like at times I, I shed tears with, with some patients and I was like, oh man, maybe, maybe I'm just a crybaby, but I don't know if we actually felt like we were family, but it kind of felt like that when, we were, when I was taking care of them, you know? Yeah. I want that to be the relationship I have with every patient I have in the future. I know it won't happen. I know like there be some situations where patients might be a little angry with the care team and the care provided or the decisions that they feel like they are decisions that they don't want to have. But I honestly hope I can always remember that humanistic part of, of medicine going forth. Um, I feel like that's the most important thing within medicine. I feel like it's, it's super healing. And even though we think that the way that they're going to heal is just with the medications that we give them and, you know, different therapies that we might provide for them. But I do feel like healing mentally, spiritually, you know, holistically comes from when we just connect with them as human beings, you know? Yeah. And by the way, if you've like cried with your patients, then like, that's just a beautiful thing. Like you should feel so proud of that. And your patients, especially if they come from your communities, like are kind of like your family. I know that like, if I have an Afghan or an Iranian patient and like, they know that my parents are from either of those countries, they do expect me to like speak Farsi with them or to share my background with them. Like they feel entitled to that. And it almost like it's a very like validating feeling almost because you're like, oh, thank God I can like stop being this robotic med student. I can just like be myself and I can practice healing in a way that I think is very unique and very special because there's so much healing and connection. And the work that we're like doing is healing work. Just like you said, it's not just like prescribing medications and like, you know, having them come back to check their A1C and their blood sugars and stuff. It's about establishing these relationships. And you can do that in any specialty. And I think being a doctor gives us like a really unique position of power to do that. But I think it's really exciting to have like, you know, a generation of medical students like ourselves that want to bring back that aspect of community and those values that we that we had in the communities that we grew up in back to medicine, because I think that's like the ultimate. Oh, my gosh, I'm getting goosebumps, you guys. <laughs> Sorry. But no, I just think that's like the ultimate, like, I think that's like the ultimate experience. I think that's going to bring a lot to 
to our patients in the future. And I think this year is really is a really challenging one. But I think it's a really good year to reflect on for those who are interested in medicine or doing something similar. These types of years are really interesting because there is a lot of growth that comes in these years. And um, I really, really loved how Ludi talked about crying with his patients because it blows my mind when people don't cry in certain situations because I just feel like the inner human in you is going to just react to what's going on. I mean, when I was in a patient room and this family was just trying to understand why their child was starting to lose a lot of function and like personality and all these different things, you know, the doctor had to slowly ease them into the understanding of the fact that this is the first few signs showing that her body is shutting down from her cancer and having that conversation and then having him kind of address that and then also start talking about how brave and how strong she is. I just couldn't even fathom a single dry eye in that room because it was just such an emotionally difficult thing to like go through. And I definitely like was crying and emotional and had to like, you know, debrief with my attending afterwards. And so I just want to recognize that like, I don't know why some people have this like perception that like, we shouldn't treat people the way we would treat family members because that makes us too sensitive or too close or we shouldn't cry with patients because at the end of the day, I feel like, why wouldn't you want a provider who's going to treat you the way they would treat their family member? Doesn't that mean that they're going to do everything possible to take care of you? That's how I view it, at least. And if my doctor doesn't cry with me when something horrible is happening, it really makes me wonder if this is just another shift for them and I'm just another number. You know what I mean? So I thought that was really beautiful. I think as far as like how third year impacted the way I want to practice. It's kind of a twofold thing of like how I want to practice with patients, but also like what it would look like for me as a professional in the field. When I was on my family med rotation, they would do this thing called like women in medicine where they would get into a conference room like once every few months, which I wish obviously it happened more often than that, but it'd be once every few months. And I was just lucky enough to be there during a week where they were doing it. And they had a very, very vulnerable and very like intimate conversation with all of the women's staff just about how they were doing and just checking in with them about their mental health, their physical health, and like just how everything was going in the last few months. And it was a very heavy conversation, especially as someone who had just started that same week to hear how these people were sharing about you know, some of the things they were struggling with, especially with mental health. And we see it in the news all the time about residents. Like, I think over 300 residents have committed suicide during residency. And that's just baffling to me. And so I think that that's something that having this conversation and having people talk about struggling with these thoughts in this space with their colleagues and with attendings and with other team members there really opened my eyes to the fact that like, we should be having these conversations before it's too late. There should be a space where we can have these conversations. And that's something that I definitely will be like actively looking for when I'm applying into residency is what will that support look like for me on the other side when I'm no longer a student and I no longer have some of those resources that we have when like your team really does become your family. Like how will I be practicing in that team and what does that look like? And then on the other aspect of just being like in the medical field as a doctor, I had like these really high expectations of finding a woman of color that would really mentor me and really be that person for me and take me under their wing and treat me like their little sister and really invest in me and give me all the time in the world to like feel like I belonged in that space. 
And then each time that opportunity came by during third year, I had such high expectations of it happening. And then it didn't happen. Or worse, it was the complete opposite. And I felt almost like they could care less if I was in that space or not, even though I felt like I'd worked my whole life for this huge monumental moment to happen that just never came. And I think I had to step back during third year, especially after all that had happened to recognize that, you know, women of color are working in this system that I'm also struggling to just like get through. And they've been in this system for much longer than me. And there is so much systemic racism that they experience on a day to day basis that sometimes they're just trying to survive and get through the day. And they probably have so many things going on that honestly, they don't have enough in their cup to pour into mine. And I think that was a really hard pill for me to swallow because I wanted that so, so badly. And so I think going into the future of like how I want to practice medicine is I definitely still want to be that role model, to be that mentor, to take people under my wing, to like do the whole leading by example. But at the same time, I think giving a bit more grace to the fact that we have all these difficult experiences that make us sound like wow, you've been through so much. You're so resilient. But at the same time, like resiliency doesn't mean that you have somehow like persevered and you're on the other side and you can like give back to your community. It also means that you're still kind of in the trenches going through it. And I think just being kind with myself that that's something that I may or may not be able to do. And and that's okay. Very beautifully said. (laughs) Third year is just like very eye opening in that way. And thank you both for sharing these perspectives. I, you know, I always get a lot out of these conversations. And I wanted to kind of tie up this episode by ending on more of a reflective piece. A few episodes back, we did a letter to your younger self, like episode where we essentially just like, if we could write a letter to our younger selves, like what would we say? And that was a really cathartic and powerful experience. And so we're going to do something kind of similar today, except it's a letter or thoughts to our future selves. Um, so essentially, like, what would you say to future you as a resident or attending or as a human? And Luti, not to put you on the spot, but would you like to go first? Um, <clears throat> I think Lady should go first. I think I think Lady should go first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, you know what? I'm the host. I'll do it. I'll do it. I wrote a letter because I'm formal like that. Dear future Mariam, Hopefully, when you're listening to this, you're not cringing super hard at listening to a younger version of yourself on a podcast. Present me is in a very stressful and tumultuous time of life, thinking about the future and family and missing community. I hope that when you read this, you're able to look back and say everything worked out. I hope you're surrounded by people you love and that you're centering community in your work. And above all, I hope that love and connection continue to be the primary motivators of everything you do. If you're still in medicine, I hope you're finding balance and purpose for yourself. If you decided to quit for whatever reason, I hope you married rich. (laughs) Ha ha, JK. (laughs) I hope you're still as funny as your past self. (laughs) Lots of love. Past (laughs) Mariam. All right. Lily June. (laughs) You ready? (laughs) That was amazing. I don't know how I'm going to follow that. Um, Okay. So first of all, congratulations, because I really doubted I would make it to match, let alone residency. That is a huge feat in itself. I imagine residency is challenging. You're probably feeling overworked, exhausted, and sick of eating stale foods out of vending machines in the hospital. I wonder if after the 20th paycheck, you stopped feeling the excitement of being a newly minted doctor and instead questioned how you'd ever pay off all of your debt. 
I hope this letter serves as a reminder of the 20-something-year-old version of yourself that questioned you'd even get through those first few months of school. You survived hundreds of hours of studying, answered thousands of practice questions, worked in dozens of specialties, and finally made it to the summit point that is graduation. I hope your program is kind to you, your co-residents are welcoming, and you serve patients in your community. I hope you drive into work and feel pride and warmth in each patient you get the privilege to care for. Also, I hope you call home more often than you think you should. This is a PSA. Everybody call home. <laughs> Lutzi. Okay. What would you tell your future self? I have a just a little bullet point, so it's not as um, structured. That's great. Future Lutzi is going to be like, yes, we still do bullet points. <laughs> um, so, dear future Lutzi, I hope you are feeling successful, but not just in medicine, in every other field of life, including being a father, being a friend, being a husband, and being a mentor to other people who might need you. Medicine is important. And I think this field is very much needs uh, loving and caring and genuine providers. But don't forget that you are a much bigger person um, outside of medicine. And there, your family needs you, your friends need you, and you need you. So don't forget that. And always remember that you come from a very rich heritage uh, of people who have, whose sacrifices have allowed you to be where you are. Don't forget them. And, and also remember that your kids also uh, rely on your sacrifices to be able to stand and be successful men and women one day as well. And I think that's it. Well, this is great. Thank you guys so much. I think we're all going to be such great doctors, if I do say so myself. And I'm so happy that you guys were on this episode. This is a great conversation. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. You guys can listen to our podcast episodes on whatever podcasting app you use. And if you aren't already, you can follow us on the Instagram at Bundle of Hers uh, for all of our latest episodes. Cute pictures of us. Um, I don't know. Maybe there'll be a cute picture of me, Lily, and Lucy on there. Um, and yeah. Is that it, Chloe? What else do I say at the end? Oh, okay. Everybody, say bye on three. One, two, three. Bye. Bye, guys. Jesus. <laughs> I'm literally sweating profusely. <laughs> Could you, did you get that? Lily's back is literally sweating. <laughs>